In 2018, a certain colloquial term was added to the Oxford English Dictionary. It is what's called a portmanteau word, one that combines the sounds and meanings of two different words. And this one so cleverly describes the irritability that comes from lowered blood sugar, combining the words hungry with angry. Church, when's the last time you've been hangry? Some of y'all hangry right now. Oh, I meant to get a donut before I came in, and now we're at the sermon, and it's too embarrassing to get up during the sermon. Well, good morning. I'm Pete and one of the elders here. Get up if you need to. But open up your Bibles to Exodus 16. That's what we'll be grumbling over today. So you may remember a popular chocolate bar sort of capitalized on this whole idea of hangry, putting out a whole ad campaign with their slogan, you're not you when you're hungry. And perhaps one of the most popular commercials during this time is when they turned Marsha Brady into Danny Trejo. <laughs> if you know who Danny Trejo is, well, you know he plays some bad dudes, some bad dudes. But have you ever been not you when trying to decide what to eat? And then after you decide what to eat, you realize that Aaron you wanted to run later, well, that's close enough to the restaurant you're going to go to. So you think to yourself, well, we should probably go run that errand first. Then you find yourselves bickering with your spouse at the hardware store over a home repair that neither one of you know much, knows much about. There's the back and the forth, the back and forth. When your nine-year-old child says, why do we keep doing things before we eat? Profound, Daniel, my boy. Profound. What sort of messes have y'all gotten into from being hangry, huh? But uh, so we've been in our series called Exodus. All right. Movement of Ja People. Bob Marley, anybody? Yeah? All right, one. Moving on. <laughs> so we've been in Exodus, and we've been seeing what the people of God, what they've been going through. But today we'll... Well, see, they really aren't themselves, or are they? The story goes, they were being oppressed and living in slavery in Egypt. God hears their cry, sends them a courageous leader, Moses, who can speak to Pharaoh on their behalf. God keeps them all safe throughout all of the plagues he sends throughout Egypt. He then performs another miracle by aiding their escape and parting the Red Sea. But today... We'll see that the, there's a certain level of distrust and unfaithfulness when it comes to them. So we'll be looking at Exodus 16 to see how it all started when they got angry. <laughs> you know, it's been so cool going through the greater story and hearing about the heroes of the Bible and how we can learn from them both their successes and the mis their mistakes. But uh, as we move along, though, there is this subgroup of people, the early generations of the Israelites, the extras in the movie, whom, if we're honest, well, we're probably mostly like. So today I wanted to pose a question to you. When life is feeling like more wilderness than promised land, do you have the kind of faith that trust in God's provision, knowing he will provide? Can you practice this basic understanding of faith? 
And my main point today is how to conjure up that foundational faith in an afflicted season to get to the provisions of God. So let's get into it, shall we? Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out in this whole wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm, going, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the weather girls will sing, It's rain and bread. Hallelujah, it's rain and bread. And then people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? We'll stop there for now. Church, except for that one part, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. So it has been said that God had used their time in the wilderness, the Israelites, to help shape them and help mold their faith. Verse 4 even said that I may test them. So this was like a basic training in faith. So my running illustration for us this morning, something I may know a little bit about having been through myself, is to take us through some basic training, otherwise known as boot camp. Now, I don't imagine that uh, Moses and Aaron had the drill sergeant or recruit division commander persona, as called in the Navy. Maybe they didn't have this, but, uh, you know, maybe they were driven to it from time to time. So, one of the first things you'll need in basic training and in basic training in faith is some attitude adjustment. Now, I didn't think this was going to be an issue for me, but... For the first few days, anytime I saw 50 young men do the same thing at the same time, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so say an order was given, division, uncover, you snap your arm back so your hand is touching the brim of your hat. And then two, you snap it back down so your, it's back at your side and your hand is in hand. And 50 shaved heads of all shapes and sizes are exposed. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> this is a very bad thing because so very often in basic training, 50 young men do the exact same thing at the exact same time. I laugh. I get punished for the laughing, grumble against the punishment, get punished for that. A cycle that quickly adjusted my attitude. But let's look at some attitude in need of adjusting amongst Yahweh's folks, shall we? We'll go back and read verse 2. And the whole congregation 
of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They grumbled, y'all. But this is in biblical times. It doesn't happen today. But church, but you see their unhappiness is sort of this letdown that comes from being in the middle ground. Where God has brought you out of one thing, but hasn't moved you towards anything else yet. You may ask yourself if you or somebody you know might be in a position like this, this sort of holding pattern. God has took you off from out from under a bad boss or a bad friendship or dating relationship. Hasn't landed into a new job, new dating relationship, or new friendship just yet. Or maybe you've had the successful surgeries, but you still got to endure the treatment plan. Well, God may need you to sit in this uncomfortableness for a little while. All the while, he works on you. The grumbling about it, though, well, that can lead to some selective memory. It could have you forgetting about a good thing and romanticizing over a bad one. As we read, they're reminiscing about Egypt. Isn't that where they got whipped for not making enough bricks without enough straw fast enough? But all those pots of meat and bread to the full, though, can't forget about that buffet. You see, I can remember growing up being a little poor and uh, being a grumbling teenager, rummaging through the cupboards and the refrigerator, trying to find something easy to eat. Well, my mom says, well, I sure can't wait till you go to boot camp. Get out of my hair. To which I replied, well, at least I'll have three square meals a day. Ooh. Ooh. But there I was, romanticizing a more uncomfortable situation than home life, because supposedly there'd be more food. what I get for being a smart aleck? Let's just say God's a little more graceful to the Israelites, okay? <laughs> All right. But Billy Graham has this to say in the subject. He says, grumbling and gratitude are with a child of God in conflict. Be grateful and you won't grumble. Grumble and you won't be grateful. Church, there will always be something to grumble or murmur about. But we've got to grapple with that grumbling. Realize it's how we choose to react. And work on choosing to react differently. We've got to adjust our attitude. If not, it'll dilute our trust in the Lord and dampen our faith. So much so, it'll be less than foundational faith. Is there an area in your life you're continuing to grumble over? Can we come alongside and pray with, for that with you? Will you put that on a prayer request card? So the next thing you'll need. In basic training and in basic training and faith is attention to detail. Because if you don't pay attention to detail, something could go wrong. Somebody can die. They do have some unorthodox ways of instilling this in you, though. Say one has an unorganized locker or a messy bunk or rack. Well, then you were bound to have to take your, take your skivvies, your, uh, your military-issue undergarments, place them on your head, 
march around saying, I am a skivvy head. I can't do anything. <laughs> you know, they expect you to pay attention to detail while you're sleep deprived also. I mean, say one drifts off and starts daydreaming while out marching. You know, gets a little off step, trips a couple people up. Well, then you were bound to get a machine. Beep, 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 beep. But let's look at some attention to detail back in Exodus, shall we? We'll pick it back up at verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know I am the Lord your God. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And Tony the tiger came and said, they're great. <laughs> Let's skip ahead to verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. It's a little more than a two-quart jar according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever had little had no lack. In other words, it was enough. Somebody say it's enough. It sustained them through the whole day. We live in a time of too much. And the dangerous thing of too much is it can become not enough. And you got Rob Walton trying to buy up the Denver Broncos. The Kansas City Chiefs have kept the Buffalo Bills from reaching the promised land because they feel as though they haven't been enough. It's enough, man. Enough already. Von Miller says so. But church, we may think God has, hasn't provided for our needs because it's not as much as what we would have liked. Hey, God, I don't think this is going to last me. I'm going to need you to give me a little more. But God, God will give you enough resources for a period of time that he determines. Thinking anything else will dampen our foundational faith. Let's keep going, though. Let's go down to verse 19. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Well, there it is. There's Moses at this drill sergeant in a campaign hat. He was angry with them. But church, don't go getting maggots in your manna. Don't go keeping a provision from God past its expiration date, trying to fight tomorrow's battles with today's graces. God's bounty leaves room for man's duty. They had to humble themselves every morning to go and gather the manna, enough for that day. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say, give us yesterday our daily bread. Now nah, the reward for trusting God yesterday is you get to trust him today too. And guess what? Probably going to have to trust him tomorrow as well. And speaking of daily bread, what is daily bread? 
with whatever you need to get through that day, whether it be patience, compassion, wisdom, whatever you need to get through that day. So how did our lovely ancestors do with this principle of trusting God again and again? Well, let's pick it back up in verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. Make the man of pancakes and the man of put-put. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So right here, God performs another miracle. It didn't breed worms when kept over on the sixth day. When kept in opposition to a command, it stank. When kept in to obedience to a command, well, it was still good. Let's see what happens next, though, in verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Well, now we got the admiral and the general in on the acts. God himself was angry with them. Ultimately, they weren't very trusting of the Lord. They had to go see it before they could believe it. Just as our rumbling could uh, have us too attached to the past, our distrust will have us too worried about the future. And both are barriers to foundational faith. Church, is there something in your past that you can't let go of that you're not trusting God with? Is there something you're hung up about the future that you're not trusting God with? We need to be paying attention to the detail in God's word and in God's work all around us and at the present. So my last point of the day is that in basic training and in basic training of faith, you'll need to appreciate the apparatus and avenues through which God provides. Yes, I'm a sucker for some alliteration. So once you graduated from basic training, you'll either go to more advanced training or straight to your first command. But the thing about going to you straight to your first command is, well, you don't get to choose where you'll go. No, Uncle Sam does that for you. You may think to yourself, oh, I hope I wind up someplace cool like San Diego, California. Nope, you're going to Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> oh, well, I hope I'm stationed on something cool like an aircraft carrier. Nope, you're going on an amphibious transport ship. And the thing is, of course, well, you still got to serve with a little bit of honor, courage, and commitment, part of the sailor's creed that you once recited. And the correlation here is, well, we don't get to choose how God's going to provide, do we? Or the ways in which he wants us to go. Well, we still must faithfully walk with a little bit of honor, courage, and commitment. Let's go back and look at verse 15. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? But they did not know what it was. 
Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Every time I read that verse, I picture Kramer from Seinfeld in my head saying it. What is it, Jerry? <laughs> but we, not make, we may not recognize God's provisions because it's not what we're used to getting. Israel knew how to eat in Egypt. That's where they had the, you know, the meat pot vouchers. Meat pot, please. But now God, God's trying to show them something new. And we may look past the provision, possibly even reject it. Because if you haven't seen it, well, it's hard to receive it. And we might wind up with the store brand Frosted Flakes. They're mediocre. <laughs> but we could steer clear of a ministry opportunity or perhaps even a service position because we feel as though we don't have what we need in order to be able to do it. But God is not in the business of moving you without equipping you, is he? Is he? We may not know what it is, but we know I am, and we should know I am has blessed it. Chuck Swindoll has this to say on the subject. The size of a challenge should never be measured by what we have to offer it. It will never be enough. Furthermore, provision is God's responsibility, not ours. We are merely called to commit what we have, even if it's no more than a sack lunch. This reminds me of a story. You know, one of the things about being an elder is well, that we each have our own individual responsibility. Like, well, who's going to host the next board meeting? <laughs> and knowing we have a small town home, well, I was trying to avoid this as much as possible. I mean, we got a dining room table, one of those ones you pull out, you put the leaf in. Not much of a dining room, though, more of a dining nook at the side of the kitchen. So whenever this was brought up, well, I would scooch it out of my seat, avoid all eye contact, like so. Until one day, the words just blurted out of my mouth. Let's all squeeze into my place. <laughs> I immediately regretted saying it, but you know, sometimes one of us has to zoom it in or just has an emergency we just can't get out of, and they may not be coming. But as we're getting closer to this meeting, though, none of us four elders nor Pastor Drew, nor Pastor Darren, has said they're not coming. Not only is this not happening, I'm reminded that Pastor Drew's pastor coach is coming to this meeting. So now i got a distinguished guest I haven't met yet coming over. Oh, boy. But church, I wish I would have taken a photo, because there we were, the seven of us, bumping elbows, you know, having to give each other stuff, because, you know, you're basically trapped. Or bumping elbows, cheerfully doing the church business while my two small dogs were vying for attention and table scraps. <laughs> you know, I was relieved when it was over, of course, but at the same time, man, God worked through that and made it work. I didn't think this provision was enough, but it was enough. The manna was enough. The manna was special. The whole purpose in sending it was not just to test the Israelites or to fill their stomachs, but it was to show them something about God. God doesn't reveal all that he has for you all at once. If he did that, will we be spoiled by it and lose faith? The Israelites, well, they're spoiled up to this point. They witness what happened at the Red Sea. Then they get to Marah, where they thought the water was too bitter to drink, so God makes it sweet. 
When we started today, they set out from Elam. Y'all know what Elam was? It was like a desert oasis with palm trees and waterfalls. Uh-uh, spoiled. Anyway, let's look ahead to verse 31. Now the house of Israel called this name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The Hebrew word for manna is man, and it means, what is it? The literal question from before. So uh, probably not the best name for this supernatural substance of sustenance, but hey, don't hate. It tastes like honey. And honey is one of the elements that make the promised land so attractive. So here they are, they're getting a foretaste of the blessings of the land of Canaan. You know, the land of milk and honey. It makes you wonder, well, what else has God given us a foretaste of the things to come? Are Colorado sunrises, glimpses of the beauty of heaven? Will barbecue ribs and buffalo wings be served in heaven? Call me convinced. Let's go on to verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. If only we could have kept a, an omer of those white fence farm hush puppies throughout generations so that they may know the goodness that once was. Missed opportunity there. But again, we see here the miracle of the manna not spoiling. This portion of manna, well, it eventually makes it into the Ark of the Covenant. And the principle here is, well, what are we leaving behind? Are our kin going to know that great-grandma so-and-so, well, they trusted in the Lord? And great-grandpa so-and-so, they trusted in the Lord? Will there be some sort of memento of this? And lastly, well, we shouldn't miss verse 35. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years. Till they came into a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And some scholars say that this was the real miracle. Not that it showed up in the first place, but it kept on showing up season after season, year after year. So, folks, we got to be grateful for the tools that God gifts us, the nourishment He puts before us, and the ways in which He prepares for us. So say we've done all that. Say we've adjusted our attitude, paid attention to detail, and appreciated the apparatus and the evidence. Well, I still got some bad news, though. One does get to graduate from basic training. However, one never really graduates from basic training of faith. No, we just get to have more life experiences upon more life experiences. No, we just get to see new facets of who God is as he reveals them to us, as he provides for us. No, we just get to trust him deeper. Just get to trust him broader. Just get to trust him greater. No, we get to turn that foundational faith into a primal, gritty faith. Turn your Marsha Brady's into dandy trails. Get hangry if you're hungering for more of what God has in store for you. But how, Elder Pete, how? Well, the proof might be in the pudding, but your brawn is in the bread. Go ahead, tell the person next to you, say your brawn is in the bread.
I'll invite the band back up as I expand on this, as I close with this. The New Testament connection to the manna story is found in John chapter 6. And in verse 30, it goes like this. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here's another one of these. Well, what have you done for me lately scenarios? Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, here is the bread. It's not back then, there. It's not soon to be. Here is the bread. He is the bread. He reiterates this down in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. What Jesus is saying here is that he's enough. And if you few believe, you partake in the bread of life. And he is in you, that makes you enough. He's not only your provider, but he's also your provision. Your brawn is in the bread. Now, I know I got some veterans of faith in the camp, but may I ask of you, are you still routinely going out and gathering your manna? Are you still routinely seeking the bread of life? And for those of us whom this foundational faith may be a little advanced for, well, may I ask of you, will you keep coming back to Forefront? We want you to know who God is and what a relationship with him looks like. Then we want you to grow in your faith and in relationships with others. I know I've talked about the Sailor's Creed early in our time together. But I'd like to lead us in a little creed of our own this morning. So if you repeat after me, say, it's enough. enough. I'm enough. Because he's enough. Now give the lesson to Harvey Park. Say, it's enough. I'm enough. Because he's enough. Let's pray.